continuing this series titled Jesus, King of Kings. Uh, my focus has been wanting to do a study on the life of David, and so it has involved Samuel, it's involved a couple weeks of Saul, and now it'll be David intermingled with Saul, and then uh, David's reign we'll get to. And, uh, and yet I feel it, it, it uh, you know, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, the, the conflict in my mind always of Palm, Palm Sunday where the crowd uh, echoed Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, great, great, great is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then a few days later they're chanting crucify him. Uh, that obviously um, the, the revelation of who Jesus was um, wasn't fully understood and yet that was part of God's plan. So there's still a lot of conflict around all the dynamic things that happened the week of Easter. Uh, but we know the end of the story. And the continuing story that we're living out today, uh, we are the continuing story of this gospel message. David, the son of Jesse, defeats Goliath in dramatic fashion. Last week, um, David and Goliath one of the most prolific speeches in the Bible, calling out Goliath, probably viewed as cocky by some onlookers and foolish by the Philistine warriors. David's great speech, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head and I'll feed your carcass of the Philistine army of the birds of the air. I mean, great, just awesome. And it leads to a massacre of the Philistines. Their, their bodies, it says, are strewn along the, the road by the armies of the Lord. And the mighty hand of the Lord is resting on his warriors and, and David leading the group. And the dreaded Philistines were slaughtered and their bodies were piled up and rotting. Dead bodies were strewn everywhere. It was like a Marilyn Manson music video. A lot of you don't even know who she is. And obviously, David's popularity skyrockets. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, giving him favor on multiple fronts. The first one, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. That King Saul's son, the respected prince of Israel, now is giving those uh, robes of uh, of the king of the future, the future heir, uh, he's placing them on David. Uh, obviously, there's a recognition of the, the Lord's hand on David and the transition that's unfolding here. But he is dripping with compliments for David to his father, and they become the best of friends. Verse 5 says, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him high rank in the army and this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. David's spirit, heart, and actions 
make him a favorite among the leadership, the, the mighty men of Israel, those commanders of the army. He's gained great respect and admiration. Verse 6 says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. David his tens of thousands. Something like that, I think. It was a really good song. It's really hot. Top of the charts. And Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly, and they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. His son becomes best friends with David. Leadership makes David MVP and Warrior of the Year. And now the women are singing songs about him. Songs about Saul is, is good, but David ten times better. And jealousy rears its ugly head. Whenever someone is recognized for accomplishing something dynamic and insecurity is in the neighborhood. I remember as a kid, even as young as elementary school, wishing to be better looking, that there were other guys that were more liked and more popular and better athletes. And I remember in the warpness of my insecurities going, if he was gone and he was gone and he disappeared, I would move up in the ranks. Even as a teenager, I remember wanting to be the employee of the month at Burger King. But I never made it, and Joan probably was. I knew you were. I didn't ask you before church. I didn't remember. I put, I hit, I blocked it out of my mind, my childhood. And she was voted most likely to succeed from her high school. And I wasn't voted on my high school. Now I give her a hard time that on August 2nd, 1986, she was the most likely to succeed. We got married that day. She did it. Okay. I wish I could say I don't battle jealousy anymore, but I do. And I wish I could say when I hear of another church that's growing that I instantly praise God that the kingdom of Jesus is multiplying. And I'm disappointed in myself sometimes because every church that reaches one person for Jesus should get a high five from every believer in Jesus. Amen? And I don't, I'm not settling for that. <laughs> I'm not, I hate that in me. I want to say hallelujah at every great report. And I'm getting back to celebrating Jesus 
everywhere and anywhere and not worrying about how big the task is that the Lord has entrusted to me and to do my job the best I can to influence and to love and connect with people for Jesus Christ. And if that means a few people or a few hundred people or a few thousand people, I've got to leave that in the hands of the Lord. He knows what my capacity is. And I'm getting closer to being healed of thinking a bigger church and more buildings and more recognition will fulfill me. Because I'm supposed to honor Jesus and be thankful and move that Jesus would say to me one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And if I'm honest, people are always asking me, how big is Falls Church now? And did you hear about this church or that church? And they, a little song comes into my brain like the girls singing about Saul and David and, and the little song I wrote that I hear in the corridors of our community, Lance, Lance is a pretty good pastor. But did you hear about the megachurch growing even faster? Lance, pretty good preacher. But the other wrote a book and has a 10-campus reacher. as if we are the reason for the crowds, as if anything grows in the kingdom, if anything grows in the kingdom, it's because God's doing His work. Paul said, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. Let me read you some ex excerpts from the folks at Good Therapy. <laughs> In the spectrum of human emotions, jealousy is almost certainly one of the most complex, frustrating, and uncomfortable of emotions. This concoction of anger, sadness, suspicion, and envy can destroy relationships, cause bouts of depression and anxiety, and even lead to serious violence or, in extreme cases, homicide. While jealous, jealousy and envy are sometimes used synonymously, Jealousy refers to the fear of losing someone or something you value, while envy is resentment over something you don't have but you want. Note, jealousy is heavily influenced by the quality of your relationship. And the more secure you are in a relationship, the less degree you struggle with jealousy. And I have a marriage that's been going for over 30 years. And I don't remember a time of ever accusing you of anything, Joan. I have no jealousy. I trust her walk with God and her integrity 
and our relationship, uh, the security that we have removes that temptation and, and the levels of that those things can rise and grow to. It stands to reason that jealousy in my life is exposing times of weakness in my relationship to God, though. And when I do not battle jealousy over others' success, but can celebrate it, I know I'm close to His heart and His will for my life. See, Saul... Saul's heart, jealousy, grew and grew, and it became a murder of the heart. Verse 10, the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. <laughs> Interesting. He's prophesying to the music. What does that say? David's playing and, and out of Saul is coming some kind of spontaneous worship to God. He's singing prophetically of the glory and goodness of God. And in that moment of worship and celebration, he's got a spear in his hand. And he says to himself, I'll pin him to the wall. And he doesn't mean through part of his clothing. He means I'll throw this spear through David's body, kill him, and mount him to my wall as a trophy. But David eluded him twice. Whoa. Matrix ninja. Couldn't get him. And I think jealousy, unchecked, of course, is dangerous. And the road of jealousy leads to murder in your heart. Will you stand with me? And I want you to place your hand on your heart and say this simple psalm together with me, with your hands on your heart. Will you say it with me? Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you, Lord. I wrote a little poem now that I'm a songwriter and poet as well. Wrote a little poem, Saul's Jealousy. Saul, Saul, he never confessed. So his jealousy progressed and hatred meshed until attempted murder came in the flesh. Without the leadership of the Spirit of the Lord, Saul seems to have been filled with the spirits of this world. You're going to be filled with something. All those insecurities, all that anger, depression, festers and flourishes into outright opposition against David. There is something big at work here too. A principle important for us believers in these last great days. 
that we know that there is an intensity and an opposition to the message and the work of Jesus Christ around the globe. And sometimes we worry about our rights as believers in Jesus being stripped away. We're alarmed at the disintegration of the moral fiber of our country, the erosion of our once-held pretty unified Christian values. It's now a glaring vacancy in the marketplace. Take courage. Isaiah 14 says, This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations, for the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart it? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? I'm sure many of us worry. And if we're honest, we really kind of worry about the comforts of our life. What if we're, what if we, you know, I, I have those thoughts. We have some Wonderful meals, especially around the holidays, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas meals. Joan's a great cook, her family, great. We feed, we're, we're professional eaters. And uh, so, you know, some of these meals, and, and it's times like that when I think about the persecution that is coming for us believers, and I wonder which daydreams I could have back and go, oh, those were good days of peace and family and worship. What if everything changes, laws change? What happens if suddenly the Lord's words and work is shut down and illegal in our country? Legal or illegal, the laws can be made, but God's will stopped by puny little earthlings is laughable. It won't happen. Case in point, as we continue in 1 Samuel 18 here, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he had led them in their campaigns. And Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, uh, Merib. I don't know how to say I'll give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him, but let the Philistines do that. I'm going to send him into the, the thick, to the, the front lines of battle. I know how brave he is. I know he'll put his neck right out there in front of the, the first of the foes of the Philistines. But David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my family or my clan that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. Now Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I'll give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to be my son-in-law. 
<laughs> she must have had quite a little reputation around the palace, quite a little attitude, because he said, ah, I'll give her to him, and she'll be a pain in the rear end to him like he's been to our family, probably. Verse 22, then Saul ordered his attendants speak to David privately and say, look, the king likes you, and all his attendants love you. Now, become his son-in-law. And they repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. I know what it costs to buy a wife these days, and I can't imagine what the cost of a princess to the king could cost me when there are other leaders in other nations trying to bridge gaps, trying to get favors, and offering probably millions and millions of dollars worth of goods and services uh, for his daughters and to create treaties and alliances and the value here, and I don't have anything, and I'm... When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, The king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. You think your father-in-law was unreasonable to, with you? <laughs> uh, how about that one? Yes, I give you my blessing to marry her, but here's what you must do. <laughs> Those were odd wedding plans. <laughs> Make a great reality TV show. <laughs> Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. Saul thinks again, I'm sending David to the front lines of battle. I'm giving him a personal mission that he must accomplish this dangerous feat right in, right in, the, in the, the private areas of the Philistine armies. And when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David took his men with him, went out, killed 200 Philistines, and brought back their foreskins. You're like, is he really saying this stuff in church? I know it's going to you. They counted out the full... I'm just reading. They counted out the full number to the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, in marriage and made a really cool necklace. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I did add that part. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael, loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well-known. All the wrath, all the jealousy that had fostered and became hatred could not stop David from the calling and appointment from God to be the next king. God has a way when there seems to be no way. Pharaoh could not stop the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 says, The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and continued to spread out. Pharaoh was nervous about the Hebrew children, how fast they were growing. I'll put an end to that. I'll, I'll make an extreme workload on them. But they prospered all the more. They were, they were, babies were popping out left and right. Pharaoh orders every 
boy to be thrown into the Nile and to be drowned. And one was thrown into the Nile, landed in a basket, and that child floated over to the home of the Pharaoh and became his child and the prince of Egypt, a prince of Egypt. In your hatred, Pharaoh, towards God, you set out to kill the children of Israel and you ended up raising their future deliverer, educating their future deliverer and hero, one of the most dynamic leaders of God's people in ancient history. You oppressed them and tried killing their babies and God gave them more children and more children left and right. You sought to take away their freedoms and it led to their release. When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became property of the Babylonian Empire, it's hard to imagine how their captivity and slavery for them in the process, we know the end of the story, but for them becoming shipped out as property now of the Babylonian kingdom, I don't think they could have imagined that they, it would propel them forward in their influence and ministry calling, but it did. Out of the ashes of a fiery furnace, a pagan nation is called to recognize the creator of the universe, and God was honored and given the glory. When jealousy flowed through the veins of Joseph's brothers, they decided to kill him. And after changing their minds and a brother talking them into being merciful, they decide instead just to get rid of the problem. And God carries him through the transportation crates heading for Egypt, through the steel bars of an Egyptian dungeon to become the prime minister of the global superpower of the world, Egypt. When Apollo 13 experienced an explosion in the oxygen tank, the mission was aborted and the survival of the crew became the focus and the attention from that point on. The crew's lives were in jeopardy. Physics aided to their safe return. Gravity assistance, it was called by hugging the atmosphere, drawing in close to the, close enough, just close enough to the moon, but not too close. There was a danger in their precision to how close and how far away. But that the moon and its rotation, that the, the ship could ride along with that rotation and create what was called a slingshot effect to propel them back to earth. It's calculated that the ship surpassed 24,000 miles an hour. The slingshot effect was powerful. Friends, when opposition to the gospel of Jesus rears its ugly head, know this, that our God will accomplish his will. No matter who is determined to fight against him, and often with tremendous velocity, a Holy Ghost slingshot effect. The harder the enemies of the cross seek to abolish the works of Christ, 
God raises up a standard against them and with great tenacity. See, the cross was a sign of death and shame. And it was the brutal end of every man ever nailed to it until Jesus willingly laid himself upon the cross. And now the death chamber has become an ornament of beauty and a sign of life and grace and possibility. Because what the devil meant for destruction has propelled the church of Jesus Christ into action and to feats of strength like no other event in human history. Amen? Will you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? I hope you haven't felt like this message has been about me because I've attempted some levels of transparency and, and authenticity with you. And I want you to bow your heads and examine your own heart. Because even when the Messiah came here, he was a threat to the religious, popular, and powerful and they had murder in their hearts and they followed through on it. For the glory of God, it was God's plan. He knew how, how sin had raged in the veins of humanity and what needed to be done to rescue humanity. And I just want to echo those profound words Dave mentioned earlier. Just as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, he's not going to say to you, well done, good and faithful doctor. Well done, good and faithful lawyer. Well done, good and faithful mechanic. Well done, good and faithful retail clerk. Well done, entrepreneur. But servant... Friends, there are threats to us and to you. Maybe it's somebody else who's been blessed with children and, and, and that hasn't happened. Maybe it's somebody else that you, you've noticed they've, they got the promotion. They got the recognition. Maybe somebody else, their, their business is booming. And, and you know deep down inside that you haven't been able to celebrate good things happening for them built up, built up some rotten feelings where you don't even want to go around those people anymore. And you're withdrawing from more and more people instead of building more and more bridges with the hope and the message and the healing power of Jesus flowing through your life where you can forgive someone not just once for an offense, not just ten times for an offense, but like Jesus said, seven times seventy. That's a whole lot of 
junk. Lord, would you examine our hearts and help us to be honest with you as well? That we can celebrate the blessings around us. We can celebrate the goodness. That we can be people of the light. That this week you'll give us opportunities to high-five someone else. (laughs) And uh, when we had been looking forward to some recognition on our own. To applaud someone else. To hip, hip, hooray, another person to three cheers for so-and-so. And not just to make us a shallow cheerleader, but in our heart, God, that we would be secure, that you know us, that you love us, that we're your child. We can't climb to any higher heights than to be known by you and loved by you. And when we understand that and we're secure in that, jealousy stops at a quick temptation. It's not allowed to foster. It's not allowed to grow. It's not allowed to control us or propel us. Search our hearts, Lord. See if there's any way in us. Change us, Lord, to be more and more like you. Celebrating the goodness of a Savior in all we do. In Jesus' name and all the church said, Amen. Lord bless you. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.cc.